For you, the listeners of Setting the Edge podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Justice can attest to it. After his wife left him for the 50th time, he was six years old with two 45-year-old sons that constantly bullied him. Audible helped find him, helped him find purpose in life as he downloaded the Al Davis biography on Audible and used it to help him motivate himself and make a better life for himself and his large adult sons. And he used it to motivate himself to find a job to pay the alimony payments. Really, Audible is the best. So once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Help justice feed his family. Welcome to episode 53 of the Send the Edge podcast. I'm Justice Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm here with Charles McDonald, my co-host. You can find him on Twitter at 4Verts. And we're here with a very special guest, Robert Klemko of MMQB Sports Illustrated. You can find him on Twitter at Robert Klemko. Say what's up to the people, Robert. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, big fan of everything you guys do online. I, I actually have not yet listened to the podcast, and I'm kicking myself for it. So after this, I'm going to go back and uh, – compare my performance to some other guests. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to, uh, especially since you've been talking mad shit on Twitter lately, uh, to me specifically, <laughs> about this Madden game. And we're going to get to that later in the show. But uh, we might as well just start off where all the hot takes are coming from uh, in the past 24 hours. And it was the comments that Cam Newton made towards Jordan Rodriguez, beat reporter for the Charlotte Observer for the Carolina Panthers. And uh, she asked him about a route that... Uh, Kelvin Benjamin or Devin Funches, one of those tall, tall guys uh, for the Panthers, ran during the game. And Cam said uh, he thought it was funny that, quote, a female reporter was asking about routes. So, I mean, first, he loses the points just by referring to her as a female. And, I mean, the way that I kind of look at the word female is it, it's almost like how, how people will use the word thug instead of the N-word. Uh, like, it's kind of like a, a replacement for... Uh, you know, bitch. Instead of saying that, you say female. Yeah, and I, I think like that. It feels that way. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you're talking about a female animal, like a, a female dog or whatever. Yeah, but um, sorry, there's like a delay. <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead. You're about to say. Well, I I, I think it's a really sensitive issue. Uh, everywhere, but just specifically having you know worked with women um, who cover the NFL, there's a lot of things that they go through that they really don't talk about because they don't want to be seen as complaining about you know having this, these great jobs covering football, um, and they don't want guys to have to be careful around them. But like there's there's what Cam did, which is you know condescending and kind of underestimating their knowledge of football. And then one thing that they talk about a lot is um, dealing with sources who, you know, for one reason or another, don't really have any any other interest other than uh, hooking up with them. So, like, they'll have an assistant coach or a scout that talks to them and tells them stuff, but then they have to cut off the relationship once it's clear that all the guy wants in return is sex. Um, and so I think it's really tough for women covering this league. Um, and, and a lot of the women that I know, especially some people on my staff, you know, were, were kind of happy, honestly, that this happened because it kind of um, shown some light on, you know, some of the stuff that they go through. 
And it's just it's just such a dumb comment by Cam, man. Like, like just the fact that like I, I don't know if it's like a dumb dumb football guy thing or what is going on, but it's like it's literally a route. Like it's not it's not science. Like, like women women did the math to put a man on the moon. Like it's it's not anything close to that. Like I don't understand what it would have to be to you know it, it, to be that the fact that like you have to like pause and think. You know this woman can wrap her mind around a route tree, which is like it's the right. easiest thing. Like middle school coaches do it. Right. Yeah, and the, the funny thing to me was like there are plenty of men who don't know anything about football that are covering it. So like just to assume that because she's a woman she wouldn't know what a route is and I I mean like like Justice said like memorizing routes is one of the easiest things you can do if you're playing football or covering football. So the fact that he would be surprised that she knew what a route was 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 pretty disrespectful I I think to anybody who covers football. Yeah. Now, should we point out that Jordan, you know, was revealed to not exactly be the perfect uh, uh, victim here? Yeah. Uh, So, like, as it usually goes, whenever somebody random kind of gets thrust into the national spotlight, people start digging. And it didn't take very long for people to find some old tweets where uh, she had quoted, like, some fake Bill Nye account using the N-word. And she talked about her dad telling funny racist jokes. And she... uh, well, at first she just blocked people who called her out on them, and then she ended up apologizing today in about a two or three sentence <laughs> apology on her Twitter account. And I don't, I don't think she's tweeted since then. But now, and then we just kind of got into this catastrophe where you have like, the racism and sexism pulling each other. And I mean, just, just scrolling through Twitter today, it was an absolute minefield. It was a mess. Yeah, it was a mess. And I mean, I haven't even really thought of my full. Like my full feelings towards it, I I just think that, you know, what, what's gonna what's the ramification gonna be on her part because Cam already lost uh, a sponsorship in in Dannon. So like, what do you even take away from her? Well, I think uh, what's gonna be taken away from her is you know some credibility in the locker room. Uh, even before the racist tweets and stuff, I mean, there are guys who don't give a crap if you were right in your spat with the quarterback, they're just not going to talk to you anymore because it's about, you know, solidarity. Right. I remember, uh, and this, this incident didn't blow up like this probably because Twitter, you know, wasn't really, uh, as big of a thing as it is now. But in 2012, when I was covering the, uh, Ravens, they, uh, they sent a reporter to, um, uh, Ohio to interview the victims families from the Ray Lewis murders in 2001 in Atlanta. And um, they asked me to go to the locker room and ask Ray for comment. And Ray basically blew up on me uh, on a Thursday afternoon before the wildcard playoff game that year. And like, I asked him, you know, if we could talk about it privately or whatever. And he was like, no, just say it. And he got real loud. And in the end, he was like, this is my space. You need to go find your space. (laughs) And, (laughs) <laughs> and he later told me that it didn't matter what I had to say because he was praying for me. <laughs> but goodness, the 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 rest of the locker room for the rest of the playoffs, you know, and they went to the Super Bowl that year, didn't really talk to me. Um, and it was very difficult, especially to talk with offensive players, um, even though, you know, I felt I was right. It didn't really matter who was right or wrong. You know, I was going up against Ray Lewis, so I was going to lose that battle. 
So, you know, as long as she stays in that job, it's going to be tough for her at first. But, you know, the great thing about covering the NFL is there's always so many new stories and new people to talk to. I mean, the the turnover is tremendous. I mean, three years after that Ravens team won the Super Bowl, there was nobody on the roster except for Joe Flacco from 2012. Yeah, and I I bet – I mean, you grew up in Maryland, so – Ray Lewis, he's like a god here. When he was playing and at his peak, I mean, they have, a, they have a freaking statue of him outside the stadium. So that must have been ridiculously tough. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a legend. And there were guys at, towards the end of his career, like notably Joe Flacco, who kind of rolled their eyes at the whole shtick, um, you know, the big uh, boisterous speeches and all that. But there were also defensive guys who grew up playing Madden with Ray Lewis when the head stick <laughs> was invented, you know? And so that they they were they were devotees. Yeah, so uh, I think we kind of covered that, and let's move on to something a little bit lighter, and let's talk about the first four weeks of the season. We've somehow already made through four weeks, uh, and we're going to talk about teams that have surprised and teams that have disappointed. So, teams that have surprised us in a positive way: uh, the Detroit Lions, because I mean, we were Justice and I, we were on the bandwagon that this was a team that was going to regress and their defense has gotten a lot better by pretty much every measurable statistic and their offense is still keeping them in the game. So what are, did the line surprise you Robert in how they've kind of started out three and one and really being six inches away from four and oh. Yeah. Well, the defense is what really surprised me. And, and I think that it's a big reason that Terrell Austin is like, a, you know, a top three or four head coaching candidate for this season. I think he definitely gets a job if they keep playing like this, just because he's gotten so much out of players that people had kind of written off. I mean, you watch Tahir Whitehead the last couple of years and he's really nothing special. And all of a sudden he's like the best run stopping linebacker in the NFL. I mean, and, and he can cover tight ends. Um, you know, all the way down the field. He's, he's the player DeAndre Levy was supposed to be. Um, and then Glover Quinn is playing well. Uh, so I, I think a lot of credit goes to the coaches for putting those guys in, in the right situations. And, and obviously, you know, you draft a guy like Darius Slay, and then you can kind of build the defense uh, around him and leave him out on an island. Um, on offense, you know, it's nice to have a healthy Amir Abdullah. But I think the big thing that they've done is what all these coaches – who are, you know, called QB gurus, quote unquote, are doing now, which is limiting mistakes and simplifying offenses and emphasizing, you know, quick throws. Um, And it's kind of boring to watch. I mean, I I, I like to think of it as the the Floyd Mayweatherization of football, where you're not going to knock anybody out, but but you're also not going to get knocked out. The one thing that I will say about the lines, though, is the, their three wins so far are against Carson Palmer, who can't throw outside the numbers right now. Eli Manning, who's one of the most inefficient quarterbacks in the league. And then uh, Case Keenum, who was a backup for the Minnesota Vikings. So I, I want to see how, how that team, how that defense looks in the next couple of weeks, because they got Carolina. Obviously, Cam Newton's basically been down up until last week when he had a get right game against the, the uh, New England Patriots. But then after that, they have the Saints, Steelers, and Packers. I feel like that will probably – I mean, it's it's corny to say, like, we'll know more about this team in four weeks. But, like, the difference between the strength of schedule that they had in terms of the quarterbacks that they face in the first month of the year and what they're going to face in the next month of the year is totally different. Yeah, and I think what's – Yeah, kinda, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think what's cool about Terrell Austin, at least, is 
I know Justice has talked about Anthony Zettel, and you just mentioned uh, Tier Whitehead, Glover Quinn, Darius Slate. Like, all these guys, they get better as they get to the lines from year to year. I mean, last year, Anthony Zettel, he didn't even look like a rossable defensive end, and now he's probably been a top defensive end, in fo- top 15 defensive end in football through the first four weeks of the season. So I think, like, when you see progression like that, it's kind of, it's kind of what you saw with how some of these defensive players got better under Dan Quinn in Atlanta from year to year to year. And if you can teach guys like that and and get them to actually improve their game in a tangible way, I, I don't see how he's he's still on that roster, or not on that roster, on that coaching staff next season because I feel like he, he's almost a shoo-in for a head coaching job at some point next year. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And the people that I talked to, you know, put him at number three, right behind Josh McDaniels and uh, Matt Patricia. And with the way the Patriots defense is playing, and, you know, I, I can't see Patricia getting, you know, that many opportunities after this season. Yeah. So another team that uh, has been surprisingly good are the Buffalo Bills. And we were we were in on the Bills being good before the season, but then once they traded Ronald Darby and uh, Sammy Watkins, we were like, eh, this team doesn't look too good. But they traded down the first round, got Tredavious White from LSU, who's been an absolute beast the first four weeks of the season. And Tyrod's done enough to keep that offense uh, afloat, I guess. So when you look at them, they've got a beast defensive line, good secondary, and and steady quarterback play. And that's kind of like the recipe to success in the NFL. I just didn't see it happening this year. Yeah, and you're an Atlanta guy, right? Yeah, I see the, the shirt you're wearing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, this is just the Houston Super Bowl shirt. But, um, yeah, it's got to kind of hurt to talk about the Bills right now. Nah, I mean, it, they were going to lose the game eventually. And, I mean, I, I had money on Bills plus eight, so I'm not tripping too hard about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> no, I, I, I rewatched that game this morning, you know, knowing we were going to talk about this team. And I think the thing that really stood out to me was how aggressive their linebackers played. And I think that speaks to uh, the confidence that the players and the coaches have in this defensive backfield. And Trey Davis White, like you said, has been enormous. Um, but I-, I thought they got, they really got to Ryan, especially with interior blitzes. Um, and Kyle Williams was able to collapse the pocket, and he was a great run defender, I think, in that game, even though the, the Falcons were able to do some stuff on the ground. Um, but, you know, they don't have any spectacular players, I don't think, in that front seven. You know, Kyle is, is a talented guy, but, you know, they don't have a speed rusher that's going to run around you. They don't have a linebacker that's going to, you know, go step for step with the best tight end, um, the best tight ends in the game. But they play really aggressive, and I think they blitz really, really smart. They're not, they don't do it too much, but when they do it, they get home. As a card as a card carrying member of the uh, Jerry Hughes fan club, I'm I'm offended for him. But uh, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Like just getting Kyle Williams back, just kind of letting that defensive line just kind of go at it. I mean, if you look at like what certain teams do, like if you're a zone defense, you need to get home with with four. You need to have smart interior blitzes, like you were saying. Like that's basically the mold that Seattle has thrown out, right? Where it's just basically get home get home with four, or if you're gonna send an interior blitz, you have to get home. Period. No ifs ands or buts about it. And the, the drastic difference between that and what Rex Ryan was doing when he was in Buffalo is just like that can't that can't be stressed enough. 
especially when you have all of that defensive line talent. Like there, there are guys like Shaq Lawson, who even though he didn't play last week, he's getting a bunch of tackles at the line of scrimmage and in the backfield, even though he's not making those sacks. Um, guys like Eddie Arbo, who's like right behind him and was basically battling for a starting job in the preseason with him. Like those guys are like legitimately talented guys who would be like number one, number two players on defensive lines elsewhere, and they're number four and number five with Buffalo. That defensive line is really, really, really underrated, and that probably is what makes that that defense right now the most all-around defensive league. Yeah, and if you just look at now, like, are you guys? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You go. Well, are you guys of the opinion that uh, Tyrod Taylor's offense, you know, the things that they do, the heavy play action, is something that can be sustained for you know a season or or several, or or, or is it does it look something like to you guys like something that could be figured out here pretty soon? Mm, Justice, what do you think? You you answer that one. I deflect that. Too. Uh, it d- depends on if his offensive line can keep him up. If they can, I think it would be sustainable. But as long as teams are scared of that ground game, I think that they would. And you know, you, you get yeah, Shady McCoy in the backfield, who they're lo- loading up the box for already. And then Tyrod has the ability to you know run read options and things like that. That makes it that draws even more bodies into the box. I think as long as you're doing that, they should be able to be fine. You know, if if Shady goes down and they just do not respect that running back and they just drop everyone into coverage and make Tyrod basically have to win on scramble drills, maybe that's not sustainable. But as it stands right now, I mean, it looks fine. Like they're 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 surviving with receivers that I did not think that they were going to be able to survive with that at all. Yeah, I mean, their receivers yeah, are and, not and, any good. And what's so fun about watching them is, you know, when when he 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 hits uh, Lashawn with the play action. The safeties step up, and then he's got that wonderful touch to just throw it over right over their heads and just drop it right in the breadbasket. Uh, uh, in terms of like touch loft passes, I, I think he's one of the best in the NFL. Yeah, he's one of the, I like even PFF, like those guys have said that like Tyrod Taylor for years is one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL. It's just like the underneath stuff, I guess, that he, he needs to work on. But they've always said that his deep ball stuff was amazing. Yeah, it's so funny because. It's really weird seeing a guy struggle with, like, the short and intermediate game. And even Cam's kind of the same way. But they just throw beautiful deep balls. And I think if you can – if you have a quarterback that can that can run like that and create big plays in the passing game, I, I think you at least got to give him a chance. Like, I, I think there was no reason for them to kind of go through that circus of in the entire offseason of them. Do we want Tyrod? Do we not? Because, like, what are you going to do? They were, like, seriously considering – rolling with Nathan Peterman at some point during the preseason. So I, I, I kind of want to see if the Bills are a legit franchise or if they just kind of luck their way into some good talent this year. But the next team that we are going to talk about, the New York Jets are 2-2, two and two, and I, I don't think anyone saw that coming. I, I mean, I, didn't, I thought they'd be lucky to win two games this year, but uh, – Todd Bowles is coaching his ass off right now. I think uh, in the update, the tackle for loss value, they're probably top three in the league right now in terms of tackle for loss on defense. Jamal Adams is playing out of this world right now, and they're doing just enough on offense to come out on top in these games. So what what are we surprised about in the Jets? Like where are they producing that we didn't expect them to produce early on? Yeah, you know, I remember going to uh, – my brother is an athletic training student down at Texas A&M, so I went down there for Thanksgiving, um, and I covered the A&M-LSU game. I think it was the night before Thanksgiving, uh, or maybe it was the day of. But anyway, just 
stacked rosters, right? But Trey Davis White and Jamal Adams were very clearly the best players on the field. And and uh, Trey Davis, you know, he had some question marks in terms of like tackling. He's kind of a skinny guy. But Jamal Adams seemed like the most pro-ready player there, and he's been that with the Jets. I think that his presence was a huge upgrade for them and allowed them to do a lot more um, uh, with the front seven and, and kind of rely on him to be that last line of defense just because he is such a sure tackler. Um, I'll be honest, you know, I don't put a lot of faith in a Josh McCown-led NFL team. I mean, I think he's like one rung below Jeff Garcia. Um, he... he He's going to win you eight, nine games under the best of circumstances and then lay an egg in the playoffs, in, in my mind. Yeah, I mean, the th- I think the thing that we made the mistake with, one, I, I want to talk about the Jamal Adams thing. The Jamal Adams thing, I think that might have been, he might bring something to the locker room, honestly. Because when I was talking to guys, the two guys that always came up were Jamal Adams and Ruben Foster in terms of guys that could change locker room culture if you needed, quote unquote, like the guy on the defensive side of the ball. Um and just the addition of that and then the subtraction of Sheldon Richardson, whatever you think of Sheldon Richardson's saga and with the Jets, right? Um, they've always been good at tackle for loss. I think the thing that we made the mistake on is in terms of, like, the media and the people who are just yeah, – the people who are projecting the season forward is this – it's kind of the same thing with like the quarterback issue that the that the NFL has right now, where they're just basically looking at like tall quarterbacks with big arms from big schools, right? And then they end up making those mistakes, even though it's an easy evaluation. Or we look at the Jets and we're like, the Jets didn't get really significantly better at quarterback, and it was a bad team last year. So easily that team is easily going to be the worst team in football. When you look at it right now, and it's like the teams with like Eli Manning and Carson Palmer and stuff have completely fallen off the edge at quarterback. Um, and that's something that we didn't necessarily – it wasn't an easy evaluation, so, like, it didn't catch on like the Jets did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even when you watch Jamal Adams on the field, I mean, there was a play uh, last week. I think it was last week against the, the Jaguars, maybe the week before. But he, he was setting the edge on a tight end, and, uh, I mean, he just blew this tight end off the line of scrimmage, and then he went in a – yeah, it was the Jaguars. He went and tackled Leonard Fournette, I mean – and then you you see him when he makes a play, all those guys get invigorated and they start getting hyped up, and he kind of leads that charge and like that whole energy. You kind of feel it through the team, and it's kind of funny because the Jets have felt like a lifeless franchise for a few years now, and they kind of have this guy on defense who just makes the whole team tick. And I think that that mental aspect is something that we may have underrated going into you know Jamal Adams draft eval and into the season, but. Yeah, he's been a stud for them. He, he's clearly one of the team leaders. So, uh, let's do, move on to. Do uh, you try to get? Do you try to get the phrase "setting the edge" in in every podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But if I do, if I do type it like on Twitter, I, I'll definitely at our own account. <laughs> we we get paid by we get paid by Audible every single time we mention it. By the way, do you have Audible? Robert? Do you use Audible? No. I, I, what is Audible? Okay, let me tell you about Audible. Audible is for millennials who don't want to read books but want the information that are in books. And you can use audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Sign up for a free month for Audible. You can go there, and I would advise you guys, first and foremost, if you're going to start with this, start with the Al Davis book because the Al Davis book is amazing. You could probably rip through it, and I want to say it's like six to eight hours. I can't remember how long it was. I use, I listened to it when I was driving to classes uh, spring term. So that that's a good one. I advise that. Um, did you know Al Davis recruited Farrakhan when Farrakhan was coming out of high school? I didn't know that. That's hilarious. See, that's 
Well, you got to sign up for audibletrial.com slash edge. There we go. Can I, t- can I tell you my Al Davis story? Absolutely. So my, my grandmother went to the first Raiders game in 1960, uh, and she's gone to a game every year that they've been in Oakland, even though now she lives on the East Coast in Maryland, where I grew up. Um, but one time we, we all went as a big family, and my mom came with us, and she brought her best friend, who was like kind of a hot older lady. And we... <laughs> And uh, we were uh, outside the team hotel because my grandma likes to stay at the team hotel waiting on a ride to the stadium. I think we we're in Pittsburgh, actually. And Al Davis comes out and he's got like four women with him. And they're probably like, you know, 20 years younger than him. I think one of them was his wife uh, at the time. And they're all getting into the limo. And he, he takes a look. He glances at my mom's friend. Looks, start, keeps walking, and then stops and turns back to her, and he goes, "Now, whose people are you?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my my mom's friend, without missing a beat, goes, "We're your people, Al." Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> I mean, he seems like a very I thought, charming man. I, I thought we would be able to. I thought we'd be able to parlay that in like box seats or something, but he just he got in the limo and left. Yeah, uh, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've uh, sidetracked with the ad read and the Al Davis stories, let's get back to uh, some of these teams that have disappointed so far. And not, I don't. I think the first team that we're going to talk about, the Browns. I don't think anyone expected them to be like good, but I think we expected them to be competitive. Which outside. The first game against the Steelers in like the last few minutes of that Colts game, they've just been getting dusted by teams. So, like, where's the disconnect between where we thought they could be and where they are right now? I think it can be tough when you are paying big money for offensive line talent and taking guys who were on successful teams in successful units and then asking them to anchor units on struggling teams, right? So I, I, I think offensive line, more than any position, just because they're all so close together there in that cluster, they rely so heavily on the man to the left and the man to the right, um, you know, either or or both. And when you put together an all-star group of offensive linemen, I don't think it's the same thing as putting together an all-star group of defensive linemen who largely operate independently with some backup from your linebackers and, and your you know your in the box safeties, you don't have that backup unless you've got a tremendous run blocking uh, uh, or pass blocking running back behind you. So I think it takes time when you put together an offensive line uh, from scratch for those guys to start playing up to their ability. I, I honestly think the Browns will will be better towards the end of the season. My my thing is just man, like you watch certain parts of that offense and how they function. And it's very similar to like last year's Rams team where these receivers are not able to beat man-on-man coverage and their quarterback just is not seeing blitzes fast enough to the point that defenses just are no longer respecting them more than just throwing out blitzes and going in man coverage. And those blitzes not only impact the passing game, but they impact the running game because run blitzes, when you have a linebacker that gets shot out of a cannon instead of having to read that that guard or center or whatever he's reading, fullback, tight end um, – that's huge. And I, I think that's one reason why their running game is struggling as much as it is and why Todd Gurley struggled so much last year. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've honestly been okay with how their offensive lines performed. 
just like the the skill positions, I think I think Kenny Britt's point shaving because there's just no way you can drop that many passes to start the season. Like he looks as bad as Amari <laughs> Cooper does right now. Uh, so I think when you, you pair that, like Kenny Britt not being a real receiver right now, Corey Coleman's hurt. Uh, they have a really, really aggressive passing attack with a rookie quarterback who's raw as hell. And it, it, that's just a disaster for uh, a bad passing offense. I mean, I, I don't get why he was making it so difficult on Kaiser right now. It just doesn't make much sense to me. But uh, we can move on to another team, Justice's favorite team, the Los Angeles Chargers, <laughs> who Justice predicted were going to be the three seed, and they have pretty much already, already been, been – uh, Eliminated from the playoffs. So, Justice, why don't you talk to us about uh, your lovely Los Angeles Chargers? Uh, I don't know. They, they're they innovators in the run and punt right now. It's, what, Anthony Lynn, <laughs> what Anthony Lynn is doing is amazing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what else to say, man. Like, I wasn't full-on expecting, like, the – the. I, I was expecting, honestly, like, okay, smaller stadium Los Angeles. Like, you could probably – you could find 20,000 people who are Chargers fans who want to go and make that a fun atmosphere. And like that, that might be one of the best home field advantages in the sport if it ends up turning out right. Nope, turned out the complete opposite. Miami Dolphins took over in uh, the first week of, of uh, games there at what is it, the StubHub Center, and then the Philadelphia Eagles. Like there were videos from last week where the Philadelphia Eagles, like it's, it looked like the NFL draft where they're like they're singing the Eagles fight song and all that stuff. And I'm like, there is not there's not 15 Chargers fans here. Yeah, um, outside of just the fact that there should not be two teams in L.A., I think the product on the field, you know, I thought it would be so much better, honestly. Um, you look at the defensive line, and you've got Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, and Corey, uh, how, do you, how do you say that? his last name? I've, I've never actually heard it Legit. said. Legit. And you think, okay, they've got a chance to be one of the best defensive lines in the game. Um, but then you add Brandon Meebane and three linebackers that nobody's ever heard of, and the, it's just missed tackles all day. They can't stop the run. I mean, it's it's hard to watch this team play defense. I think the worst thing that happened to them, or the worst thing that they allowed to happen, was to let Weddle walk a couple of years ago, just because not just because of his play on the field, but also the impact that he had in motivating guys in that locker room. Um, I, I, I thought at the time that it was really going to take a lot. It was going to really take a special personality to replace him. And I think that that's sort of played out. Yeah, because who's, who's the most vocal dude? Like, I don't, I'm not sure I've heard any of those guys' voices on the Chargers defense other than Joey Bosa. And that was because he played in college. And he's like a 22-year-old right now. Yeah. And back to, like, the point about there not being any Chargers fans in the stadium. I mean, would you guys go get in the car in LA traffic to watch this crappy football team get blown out? I would go just because it's kind of a romantic little stadium. And I like the idea of seeing football up close for cheap. Like I like, I liked before the, I, I like the bill stadium uh, because it feels like a college football stadium. But I think most people would rather just watch the NFL on television um, just because the views are, are so much better and you don't have to drive and the beer is cheaper. Uh, I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how you, how you make people buy into the stadium experience for a team that's crap. So, so what do you think about the whole idea of them moving back to San Diego? Do you think that there's any chance of that happening or them just full on just moving from L.A. to anywhere at this point? 
I think that they would at least give it a few more years, another head coach. So let's say Anthony Lynn gets fired at the end of the season or he doesn't make it through much of the next season, right? They, they get rid of him in the middle of it. I think that the league would insist that you try another head coach and see if you can find some modicum of some success um, and then see what the fan reaction is. I mean, you can't you, you can't say this early that this was a bad move, even though, it, you know, all signs are pointing that way. Yep. Uh, so off that point, let's dive into some of these mailbag questions. Uh, the first question from Derek at Steve's Tabor, just a fantastic uh, Twitter handle. Why is it that the Lions offense can only turn into an unstoppable machine in the final two minutes when down one score? Yeah. I kind of subscribe to the theory that, that some people are just gamers. Uh, and I also think that Matt Stafford is in his head a lot when, you know, he's got time to think and it's, you know, midway through the first half and, and you know, he's thinking big picture. You know, what are the things we want to accomplish here? But then when it's two-minute drill and he's not only got – uh, the game clock. He's got the, he's got the game clock in his head. Um, in addition to um, the play clock and 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 you know the protection and all that, I think he's more committed to just throwing it immediately to the open guy. I think probably when Calvin was there, he he got a little bit used to waiting for Calvin to get open, and and throwing uh, you know trying to throw him open as opposed to you know hitting some you know uh, other option you know who's less talented when they're immediately very obviously open. And when it's a two-minute time, like, he just drops everything and hits the open guy. Yeah, I also think it's part of uh, our running theory that Jim Bob Cooter is just a tremendous coward and fraud. Uh, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I I don't get, like, when you have a quarterback like Stafford, who has the big arm that we always talk about, and you have these explosive playmakers, uh, Ebron, Abdullah, Riddick, Marvin Jones, Golden Tate. I mean, why not try to open up the field more? And I think when you see them in those situations where they have to, all right, our back's against the wall and we need a touchdown, like they have the capability to just run down the field and score on just about anybody. But for some reason, they're stuck playing like this dink and dunk game, which doesn't make sense because I I think they have the personnel to be a, a pretty damn explosive offense. Well, I think Jim Bob would probably make the argument that he's trying to get the hands, get the ball in the hands of these playmakers as quickly as possible and let them do the work and also, you know, go through an entire 60 minutes without throwing a pick six or something close to it. Like, I, I could see both sides of it. Um, when this team is playing from behind, they, I think they do open it up. And, and sometimes it's a little bit, uh, you know, too little, too late. Uh, but this is the way that the NFL is going now. It's this is the Floyd Mayweather effect that I'm talking about. That's awful. Jim Bob Cooter is going to get a head coaching job because Matt Stafford throws less picks. How, how, okay, how do we fix this? How, how do we make like in, incomplete passes within five yards or life fumbles? That that's my idea. Like just hold on, just just you cannot throw the ball less than five yards. If Jarvis Landry catches the ball behind the line of scrimmage, you get deported. That's my rules. <laughs> It's only two. Three teams. There, yeah, there are three coaches we need to get off the face of the planet. Jim Bob Cooter, Adam Gacy, and Ben McAdoo. I mean, they're, they're ruining football for us. You want to talk about the anthem protests and people not standing for the flag? No. The real enemies of America, the real enemies of the republic, are these people, these coaches that just want to play three yards at a time. 
go balls to the wall and try to score some touchdowns. Make this more fun. I, I said last week we need to clone Sean McVay. I have had more fun watching his Rams offenses this this month than any other Rams team that I can ever remember. Well, actually, you know what? I did. I wasn't. I, I was. Uh, I caught the tail end of the greatest show on turf. So I take that back. Or like even last year with the Falcons offense, like it it, it came to bite them in the ass at the worst possible time, but. They always had their foot on the gas pedal. First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. Like mm-hmm. they're going for the touchdowns, and I kind of miss that style of offense from them this year. But like, man, like, I'm just looking at some of these Matthew Stafford stat lines from the Monday night game at the Giants: 15 for 21, 122 yards. I mean, no one's trying to watch that. I, I, I'm with <laughs> Justice here. Any any incomplete pass that's within five yards of the line of scrimmage is an automatic fumble. It's a pretty great idea. I like it. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to the next question from Vitor Carmago. Uh, ask him, ask him, Robert, if he has other stories about covering long shots like the one he shared about Echelaire right before the beginning of the season. Did I butcher okay. that name? Uh, Austin Eckler is his name. So for people that don't know, um, I went on like a tweet storm. Uh, when Austin Eckler made the Chargers roster, he he's like a small school guy. He went to uh, Western State here in Colorado. I'm, I live in Denver. Um, and I w- saw him at the pro day for Colorado because, you know, a lot of these big schools will let the smaller school players come practice in front of uh, or come work in front of the scouts after their pro day is done. And, you know, he killed it. And he played D2 and he ran for like 6,000 yards in college. But, like, he basically – got a shot because he dominated this pro day. And then he made the roster, became a full-time kick returner, and then he scored a 40-yard 40 40 touchdown the other day on his first carry. So that was that was something that you know really resonated with a lot of people. It's something that I enjoy about the job because you get to um, see these guys' dreams come true and meet people who believed against all odds that they were destined to be in the NFL – and that all they had to do was work their asses off to make it happen. And then that's what they did. Um, not much comes close to the Austin Eckler thing for me. Um, I do remember, kind of funny, seeing this kid named Wendell Williams uh, when I was at the Western Kentucky Pro Day. And he had just run a 4-1-9-40 at a regional combine like the week before. And he got in a car and drove like four or five hours to Western Kentucky he gets there, and um, and uh, who's the super agent? I'm blanking on his name. Rosenhaus. Drew Rosenhaus is there uh, with his brother and signs him to a contract before he even gets on the field, right? A representation contract. And then he goes, and I think he ran like 4-3-something, and he was like all upset about it, you know, even though he's like obviously one of the fastest people who ever lived. And he, you know, runs good routes, catches almost everything, and then he gets a, a, an opportunity with the, um, with the Texans. And he just got cut uh, after this preseason. But it's cool to see. And it's also a little bit weird when a guy gets a job off of a pro day, right? Because Austin Eckler put 6,000 yards on tape. Like if you go back and watch his big runs, like he's taking 270-pound Division II defensive linemen and shoving them to the ground. And you figure a guy like that should just get a shot based on, on his merit. But, you know, they need these pro days. They, they have to ball out 
when when there's all this pressure to really get looks to even just be invited um, to to a camp. Um, so it's it's inspiring sometimes, and and also it's kind of sad to think about the guys that you know didn't get that shot but probably deserved it. Yeah, and have you have you met our pal Emery Hunt because he preaches that all the time? Like, why does a guy have to? ball out of pro day if he has three years of good tape uh yeah it's just kind of weird the whole scouting thing's kind of weird and we're about we're about to dive right back into that with this lamar jackson josh allen sam Darnold talk mm-hmm. it's already killing me on the inside uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh vitor had another question which teams uh did we over or underrate uh more before the season which players aren't performing the way you expected and the good surprises I think we kind of cover the teams. Um, you know, it's hard to say anybody's overrated, underrated after four weeks, uh, unless you know they're just they're four and zero and they were supposed to be zero and four. But it, when you think about players, like the, you know, a few names come to mind. I don't think anybody thought Kareem Hunt would be the most explosive runner in the NFL. Um, I don't think anybody thought Alex Smith was capable of stretching the field um, with you know, especially with the group of receivers that he has. That you know. Outside of Tyreek Hill, like you know, there's no one to, to fall in love with there. I know that one of your personal favorites uh, is uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll let you talk about him. Uh, the one guy that I've been really impressed with is Demarcus Lawrence, defensive end for the Cowboys. Uh, I think he just got tired of everybody saying the Cowboys had no pass rushers, and uh, he decided to, uh, you know, work his butt off this offseason to become now one of one of the elite guys in the league, it looks like to me. Yeah, uh, Deshaun Watson, he's like the greatest quarterback to ever play football. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just joking. But, I, I, I mean, you've got to be encouraged with him if you're in the Texans organization or a Texans fan because every time he steps on the field, he, he just gets better than the last time he was out there. I mean, we watched the first game he had against uh, his first start against Cincinnati on that Thursday night, and – you know, it, the passing wasn't great, but he still made the play of the game on that 49-yard scramble on, like, third and 18 to get the only touchdown of the game. So, you know, and then he comes out the next week uh, against the Patriots, and the Patriots have a shaky pass defense to put it nicely. But, I mean, we're talking about he's one throw away, one ridiculous Tom Brady throw away to Brandon Cooks from being 3-0 and as a starter walking into uh, Sunday night. So, and, and then the clinic that he put on against the Titans, it was it was just – unreal and just to see him get better and pick up things really quickly uh it's just it's just really encouraging so yeah hopefully this is the quarterback to pull them out of quarterback hell that they've been in since they've really since they've been a franchise or maybe if you want to be more lenient since Matt Schaub kind of fell off uh when Kyle Shanahan left but yeah it's it's been dope to watch him cook like this uh who are some players and team or who are some players that we've been a little bit disappointed with the start of the season yeah, and, and I'm going to need you guys to explain this one to me, but I, I thought that the Raiders running game and the Steelers running games would be, you know, at the top of the class. I mean, everybody talked about how the Raiders had supplanted the Cowboys with the top offensive line in football. Um, and then with the Steelers, I mean, if you've got Antonio Brown on the outside and Ben Roethlisberger playing quarterback um, and a offensive line that doesn't have any glaring holes, you'd figure Le'Veon Bell would be in line for a career season. But neither Bell nor Marshawn uh, nor Jalen Richard in Oakland has really um, had a, a breakout game running the ball. I mean, it's just 
ground and pound and, and three yards in a cloud of dust now with these guys. I mean, is this is this offensive line play? Have these runners regressed? I mean, how do you evaluate these two teams? Justice, go on and go ahead and get your skill <laughs> over with. This is my my bat my Batman signal for Le'Veon Bell. All right, let's talk about Le'Veon Bell. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think one of probably the most disingenuous thing that we have in football going on right now is Le'Veon Bell being like he's so patient behind the line of scrimmage and stuff, which is true. It's obviously true. But the fact that that offensive line is sustaining those blocks for so long before he can hit the hole, if you look at the this was this was my point coming into the season was that if you look at what teams do, okay, there's two different ways of looking at, at tackle uh, yards per carry, right? Yards per carry is largely influenced by how often you get tackled in the backfield, and I would say that getting tackled in the backfield is largely influenced by how well your offensive line does, right? So beyond the line of scrimmage, on positive runs, Le'Veon Bell didn't actually have a high yards per carry. He just wasn't getting tackled in the backfield very often because his offensive line was so good. I think the difference between this year and last year why he wasn't able to replicate last year when i thought he was a average back behind a very good offensive line in terms of his production um i would say that the difference probably is chemistry because if you're going to be playing that style of that that running back style where you're waiting and you're patient and you're trying to find that tiny crease you know four seconds into a running play when you when you're you're very patient behind an offensive line that is sustaining blocks like that i think that the chemistry of not being there for the summer impacts that a lot if you're just talking about pure style of play like he is a very unique player behind a very unique offensive line and i think that kind of that that you know the the equation the chemistry of for that working may have gotten you know knocked off based off of him not showing up for the supper which one i don't blame him for go get your money yeah yeah and with the raiders run game i i didn't know what to expect from from them just because i mean marshawn is ancient right now uh and even the last time we saw Marshawn in the Seahawks now like the Seahawks offensive line obviously does not compare to the Raiders offensive line but it's not like he was very he wasn't very good his last season in Seattle so I don't know for him to take a year off and then come back into it I I, I don't really know how much we were to expect from him uh I was kind of hoping that they took a running back early but I think with Marshawn in the picture that that kind of nicks itself but yeah, I mean, he's a he's a what, 32, 33 year old running back. That's kind of what 32, 33 year old running backs look like. <laughs> Marshawn always struck me as the kind of guy that you grew up with who could roll out of bed and and just ball, and and would dominate and intimidate people with the physicality, just the willingness to run through you over and over again, as he's put it. And I think that when guys like that get older. Uh, they they kind of hit a wall and they have to figure out, um, you know, how to prepare where they never really had that before. And I, I think Marshawn falls in that category. Yep. Uh, so almost done here. Let's run through uh, MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year through four weeks. Uh MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year are honestly all going to be the same for me. I'm just go Kareem Hunt because, I mean, when you're averaging almost <laughs> when you're averaging eight yards a carry through four games, I mean, I don't I don't uh, really know what else there is to say. I'm with you. The only other guy that I would say is like even close is probably Brady. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say Brady. I I I can't in to this day and age give MVP to a non-quarterback. I just. If we're talking about the most valuable player on the field. It has to be a quarterback, in my mind. Uh, nah. 
maybe. <laughs> <laughs> good, good comeback. I was gonna, I, I, I was gonna come up with something slick, but I couldn't think of anything, so I just, I just, I just went with maybe. So, who's gonna be your offensive player of the year then? Well, then that's hot. I mean, I okay. think the, uh, it, uh, I, they're they're the same award essentially, but you, you're not gonna give it to the same guy, like right, like when they do the NFL awards. They usually mix it up and give a different guy OPOY, right? Yeah. So I think that you give uh, offensive player of the year to a skill position player, and you give MVP to a quarterback. And like obviously, if the season ended today, Kareem Hunt has been the best player on the field. Uh, you know, wherever he goes. I mean, uh, nobody nobody saw this coming except like PFF, who said like he, what he broke the most tackles or had the most yards after contact in college football. But like. All right, whatever. He went to Toledo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was the same way. Like, I, I, I saw the hype on him. I didn't really pay too much attention to him like before the draft because I'm not gonna sit here and go rewatch Toledo games. It's just not. What I'm gonna do. <laughs> That's you're just not gonna do that on a on a, a no. Thursday afternoon. No, I mean, like the the only way he, I was going to watch Cream Hunt is if he had gotten drafted by the Falcons. So. Uh, I remember he, he, he made some noise at the Senior Bowl, and people said he had a good week there, but I don't really pay attention to the running backs while I'm down there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he, he's just been unbelievable. I think he's on pace for, like, 2,500 yards on about eight yards of carry, which is just – that's, like that's, – that's even crazy for, like, Madden numbers. Yeah. Uh, defensive player of the year. I'm on the DeMarcus Lawrence train. I, I think he already has nine and a half sacks, I think, or seven and a half sacks through four games. Uh He's he's about to get a big time contract in the offseason. I you know, I kinda wanna give it to a guy at a position that doesn't really get recognized for these awards. Like I think you could easily give it to Vaughn or Demarcus or Khalil, um, just because they have so much impact on a play by play basis, you know, when it whether it's run or pass. But if you look at the season that Akib Talib is having in Denver um at corner. Um, I think that he's a cornerstone of that defense. I think he's playing his best football. Uh, and I also think that watching him get interviewed and give some sort of speech about being defensive player of the year would be the highlight of my oh offseason. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I now have something else to root for. <laughs> this is what I have to root for this season. This is a keep totally winning defensive player of the year. Um, I would say as someone who has to watch all these damn games to watch their defensive line and outside linebackers, defensive tackles, all that. Um, I would say the guys that I would have on my watch list would obviously be uh, Demarcus Lawrence just because he has the stats right now. Uh, 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 Calais Campbell out in Jacksonville is playing amazing. He's even better than he was in Arizona somehow. Um, it's probably all those, all, all the bodies that they have there as opposed to Arizona who right now has no one after Marcus Golden hit IR. Um, I would say that Cameron Hayward is a guy that is going completely under people's radars right now. I mean, he's a guy, he's a guy who... You're aware of his name, but you don't really realize that he's playing basically at like a J.J. Watt level right now. And then probably Justin Houston, because Justin Houston looked dead the first half against uh, the New England Patriots. And they just sprang up, came back to life somehow. He looks like the Justin Houston who has essentially been recording a sack a game since his second year in the league, which is just an amazing stat. Yeah. Uh, Offensive rookie of the year. I think we're on the Kareem Hunt bandwagon, even though. Deshaun Watson might come up and snag that from him if he keeps playing like this, but uh, that's another story for 12 weeks from now. Uh, defensive Rookie of the Year, who you got? Uh, I'm going to have to give it to Trey Davis White, uh, the Bills corner, um, just because, you know, not well, – when was he picked? 20-something? 27th. 
Yeah, so like you don't really expect your late first rounder to show up and be the best corner on your football team and replace Stefan Gilmore and validate, you know, getting rid of him or letting him walk. Um, so I think that just the way that defense is playing and the way that they've relied on him early in his career, uh, I would have to give it to him. Justo, I, I I would probably agree. Justo, not Justo. Boy, get your get your mind right. Um, I, yeah, I would probably agree. Um, just because there, there's really none of these other guys, like the splash defenders, right? The guys that you were saying that have an impact on every single down. The guys at the line of scrimmage. I mean, Derek Barnett's working in a rotation right now. So Solomon Thomas, Miles Garrett hasn't even been on the field. This defensive tackle class was really weak to begin with. So yeah, I, I would probably give it to Tre'Davious White right now because he he looks like from down down to down, he's having more impact on his team than any other rookie right now on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, so I, I would I, I got three, like three that I can't really decide who I want to go with. So I, Trey White, Buffalo Bills, Jamal Adams, uh, safety for the Jets. We talked about him earlier. Just he's been amazing. But my third option would be Larry Ogunjobi for the Browns. And like every time when you do the the update and we look at the tackle for loss numbers, and the the Browns are just they're killing teams in terms of tackle for loss numbers on defense. Uh, so I just I would just been going back and watching and like Larry Uncle has legit been a monster versus the run throughout the first yeah. four weeks of the season. I mean, w- when you go in and watch his tackle for losses, like they're not fluke plays where uh, maybe somebody else forces it and he just kind of happens to be there. Like he's disruptive. He's getting in the backfield and just coming from Charlotte, which is a Division One AA FCS program. I was not expecting him to be this. Oh, wrong. Guy. FBS program. Charlotte is. Yes, sir. I, I'm pretty sure that's a fun belt team. Is it now? It's a fu- it's a fun belt team or a CUSA team. We will look it up right now. You keep talking. Okay. Well, wherever he's from, uh, I I did not expect him to be this good this fast. And he's wearing that ugly ass number sixty five jersey. But yeah, he he's balling right now. And, and <laughs> <laughs> I mean the way that the way that that Browns defensive line is coming together, and they're going to get Miles Garrett back this week, but. Emmanuel Ogba, he looks like a monster. Uh, Ogun Joby's playing well. Danny Sheldon, he's really starting to justify uh, his pick in the first round a couple years ago. Caleb Brantley, he's coming on since he's been able to get in rotation after he got out the doghouse. And, yeah, like, I don't know if we're, we're going to talk about that much this year just because the Browns have been so awful, but they are actually building a monster defensive line right now, and all those guys are really, really young. The uh, 2017 uh, Charlotte 49ers are 0 and 5 and 0 and 1 in Cusa. Huh. 100 percent agree with you on the ugly 65 jersey. I remember in high school, if you wore number 60 through 68, you were definitely a scrub. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why he's still still rocking that. Like, you can be free, be free. <laughs> uh, coach of the year through four weeks. Are we all on the Andy Reid train for this? McVay. No. Oh, McVay. McVay. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest turnaround. The, yeah, the Chiefs were a good team last year. Okay. The Chiefs were a good team last year. I mean, do you give it to the coach that took a playoff team and made them a better playoff team, or do you give it to the coach that took a garbage team and made them competitive? Yeah, you're right. I, I think they've almost scored as many points as they did last year already. It, I saw I saw some stat where it was the last team to go – from the lowest scoring team in the in one season to the highest scoring team through f- the first four weeks of the year was like the 1956 like New York Giants or something like that's how drastic <laughs> this turnaround has been like that 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 was all white dudes all white dudes on the 1956 New York Giants team man it's been a long time 
right, yeah. Just so, just looking at the numbers, last season the Rams scored two hundred twenty-four points, and this season they've already scored one hundred forty-two. So they're one hundred and two points off from what they scored last year through four games. That's that's, that's kind beautiful, of crazy. Man. I mean, it's it's so fun to watch as a fan because the worst thing for the NFL is to have teams that are terrible for a long time and just go run through coaches. And if you can find a guy that's in his mid thirties who is, uh, you know, can turn a quarterback like Jared Goff around, who I think a lot of people had written off. I mean, you you need as a league more Sean McVay's. Yeah, and you know what else we like about Sean McVay? He's aggressive with the football. Mm-hmm. So. We want we need more Sean McVay's, more Kyle Shanahan's, less Jim Bob Cooters, less Adam Gacy's. Make football fun again. All right, I'm and, with you. Yeah, and before we close out, uh, so Robert and I we've been trying to organize this Madden game, but we have a we've been trying to organize a game of Madden because he's just been talking mad junk on Twitter and it's getting under my skin, and I just need to kind of quell quell the noise a little bit. So we yeah. are trying to set up a game, but. We want to do something where we end up sending proceeds to uh, Puerto, uh, Puerto Rico Relief because they were just damaged by uh, Hurricane Maria. So we're going to figure out a way to get the same system so we can play. And then we're going to set it up so you guys can donate to either my team or Robert's team. And then all the proceeds will end up going to uh, Puerto Rican Relief. So I'm going to get that set up over the weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to make... Uh, some promos. I'm going to have our intern Count Caleb Photoshop some funny pictures of Robert so we can uh, kind of build awareness for this thing. <laughs> and we're going to get a kick off, off the ground. Uh, so yeah, be on the lookout for yeah. that this weekend. Uh, so before... Well, I, I, go ahead. I, if I could just say one thing about the Madden. Uh, two things. We have a discrepancy here. We have to figure out who's going to play on the system they're not accustomed to. Because I play Xbox and you play PlayStation, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I can be on either one, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> then let's play Xbox. And the, the second thing is that, you know, it, it, it sounds like it's going to be fun, but I just don't want you to get upset when I'm I, I'm just up 21 nothing in the first quarter and I haven't even thrown a pass yet. Because, like, I only run three running plays and no one beats me. It's the first time for everything, right? So so how, how are we going to decide this? Should the fans be able to decide what teams you guys are going to play with? I feel like that's a fair trade-off if you're asking for money. Oh, for that's him. a good call. I like Make that. you guys earn call. it a little bit. I like it. Yeah, so, so I mean, we, but there has to be a, a set of acceptable teams. Like, no one wants to play with the freaking Browns, right? So, we'll, we'll throw out, like, 10 teams that are fun to play with. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a post up for uh, settingnetch.com and get that all squared away this weekend. But, uh, yeah, right. this, this has been fun. Anything that you're working on that you want to let the people know about before we let you out of here? You know, all I'll say is uh, I wrote a column today on, you know, kind of my experiences at NFL stadiums and, and how vulnerable we are in light of um, the Las Vegas attacks. Um, kind of a hard thing to write, but I had to get it off my chest. Um, the other thing is, please go buy the magazine. Uh, print is not yet dead, and I have a story in it uh, this week. And that's it. All right. So that's going to conclude episode 53 of Send Me Edge. We'll be back next week with our gambling picks, and uh, perhaps we'll, re- we'll recap uh, week five if I feel like it. So <laughs> adios. Thanks for